welcome to the Social Impact Pulse, a podcast where we aim to cultivate intimate conversations with entrepreneurs working at the intersection of the sustainable livelihoods and lifestyle sectors. Each episode is a no-filter conversation with entrepreneurs where we dig deep into the values they hold dear and how that molds and shapes the social impact they strive for through their organizations. In this episode, we are joined by Shalise Nicholas, founder of Medea and Matilda, a luxury clothing label specializing in upcycled and sustainable fabrics based in Gloucestershire, the UK. We hear about how the brand got started, what motivates Shalise, how consumer engagement in sustainable fashion has evolved over time, and the story behind the name Medea and Matilda. On with the show. Hi, my name is Shalise Nicholas, uh, designer and owner of Medea Matilda, a sustainable clothing label based in Gloucestershire. We create clothing out of dead stock and zero waste materials. It's either vintage and upcycled or end of line, and we make them into garments that people can purchase that are timeless and for everyday use, really. (laughs) Shalise, how would you describe Medea and Matilda in a sentence? Well, I thought about both ways. So I thought about, in one word, I would say conscious. In one sentence, I would say uh, sustainable zero waste fashion. That's what we are. And that's how I would label it. I think I toyed with that idea for a very long time. Like, what is it that we do? Because when I first started in 2013, no one really knew what it was. And it was vintage, but it wasn't. It's new, but it's not. (laughs) How do you explain that? And the only way that I can explain it is that it is zero waste fashion. It's um, making old garments into new things. It's making something that was once loved brand new again. And could you tell us a little bit about how the brand came into being? What prompted you to start a sustainable fashion brand? Okay, so when I first started, um, I wanted to design women's clothing. I wasn't sure which route I was going to take, but I always had a a pull, like a gravitational pull towards sustainability because I just hated waste. Um, And I think it's something that's instilled in me since I was a child, probably something to do with my upbringing. Um, so my grandparents were farmers, um, and my great, great grandfather was a slave, but I didn't know that until very recently. I learned that. And my great aunt, she taught me, well, she told me all about it very recently when I started doing my TEDx talk and it, it really sort of opened up to my eyes to why I have such a good work ethic. (laughs) My grandmother, she ran a plantation in Dominica. And um, my parents, like they, they work in um, the skilled trades. So, you know, the work ethic has always been behind me. It's the backbone of well, everything I do. But yeah, so I, I couldn't understand why there was so much waste in fashion. So, yeah, I think that's why I have such a strong work ethic in, and I work really hard in fashion to do something different. That's, you know, a bigger cause than just making clothes. It came around after the Rana Plaza disaster, almost coincidentally, like I I came out of fashion and I was at a crossroads. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was thinking, you know, do I want to continue down this route that I'm not happy in, you know, uh, seeing the way that they work and and continue, you know, to design for fast fashion? Or do I start something that's that's forging my own path, that's 
completely um, unheard of and is making a difference. Um, so I took the, the tough route, I guess. <laughs> and yeah, eight years till now, um, still doing it. So as a follow-up to that, there was so much momentum that came out of the Rana Plaza disaster with movements such as Fashion Revolution and, and the like. How have you seen things evolve within sustainable fashion and particularly in the UK? I think there's been a great change because people are more aware now and they are actually buying and purchasing with that mindset of they want to be sustainable, they want to make a difference, they don't want to harm the planet. And it's been a a bit of a curve, I guess. It's taken a while because when eco-friendly fashion was around for years, but when it first came out, people were a bit skeptical, you know, like, why do we want to buy something twice the price or you know, they do, didn't understand it, but now I feel like they're they're seeking it out. They're looking for products that are made handmade, or like they're looking for what's behind the brand and what it is that that brand is doing for the planet, which is really key. And I think that's what's made a big difference. Could you tell us a little bit about your supply chain and the organisations that you work with? Yes, yeah, so I work a lot with textiles recycling centres. Um, and I also buy from going to car boots and places like that. So I pick up, you know, um, where we are a small business. So I do tend to pick up quite a lot from there. In terms of supply chain, I was talking about this this morning. Um, we don't really have a supply chain because our supply chain is what's left over. So when we're shopping, it's in mind of, right, we don't want anything to go to waste. We want to reuse it. And then when we cut it out and we look at the way that our process is, it's not about anything going to waste. It's all got to be reused. So even within the studio, there is a excess of clothing that's still left over that we then reuse into something else. Um, so seasons, I still have pieces from like the very first season that I bring back and put it into the, the next season that's coming up. So it's all about being timeless and that, that nothing goes to waste, that it all gets reused. So Shalise, how do you cultivate impact both at a personal level, but as a brand as well? I value people. I think family is really important. And I think that regardless of how long you're doing something, it's the people that you work with, it's the people that you support and that you nurture and grow that give back. And I feel like it's the same within fashion. I feel like you, if you nurture and give somebody your knowledge and pass it on, that is better than than profit. <laughs> um, do you see what I mean? I don't know how to explain it, but I feel like you gain so much more from that than you do from, you know, chasing profit. Yeah. So I do a lot of mentoring in my um, studio. I work with a lot of um, young people who are trying to get into fashion and they've gone on to do some wonderful things in different companies or they have, um, you know, they still stay in touch and, you know, and things like that. Yeah, we're really interactive on social media. Um, I'm trying to get more interactive on there, but it's difficult with timings and stuff. But um, yeah, I try to, um, well, I'm always answering all the messages and getting back to people, um, putting on competitions and, and different things that, that will include people's perspectives, asking them questions and things like that. Yeah, I think it is important as a brand to have a voice. If you don't, then it's you kind of get lost in the... <laughs> in the mass ether of um, how many brands there are out there. But 
I feel like our voice is one that's standing out. So hopefully uh, people will have heard of us. And yeah. Well, we just did uh, like uh, the last two weeks, we did a market. And this market, it's a slow fashion movement market. And we really did get some great engagement on there. And like just interacting, doing like um, live videos. We, the, the comments that we get in there, the, the way that people talk and the things that they're asking about, we, we try to answer those as best as possible. Yeah. And I think our engagement rate from like when we first started, it was completely different to what it is today. But I think also people, this is something I was talking about this morning. People, they want to trust and know a brand before they buy. So knowing what's going on, knowing like the transparency of what the brand is doing and believing in it before they purchase, that's really key. And even if you're a small brand like ourselves, um, you are, you have a voice. So using that voice is important and making sure that you're, voice is heard and the customer understands what's going on how we're making the clothes what it is that goes into the products you know the people behind it as well you know that kind the story basically (laughs) telling that story what are three moments when being the founder of Medea and Matilda made you proud ah so I was thinking about that earlier um and it brought back some very nostalgic moments (laughs) So one I would say would be the first time we had a sale from Australia. That was a big boost. It was like, wow, we're reaching that far. <laughs> um, and sharing that experience with my staff in the studio, like that was, you know, epic for, for all of us. Um, big achievement. And then doing a showcase in St. Martins and Fields in London. That was spectacular too. But there was also another showcase that we did in Manoto Stage, um, which is a TV show. Um, it's a bit like X Factor, <laughs> but the Persian version. <laughs> yeah, so we did that. And I thought that was quite great to see our clothes on TV. That Yeah, that was you know. But the TED Talk, personally, that would be um, something, a big achievement for me because I'm quite the introvert. And um, <laughs> having to put myself out there in that way and the months of planning and training that went into that. Yeah, big achievement. And on the flip side of that, what is it that keeps you up at night? I think this year has been a very difficult and challenging year. So that's definitely been something that's kept me up at night. But um, just I feel more secure now just knowing that things are getting better. So I'm always looking for the positives out of something negative. Like is there, you know, look at what we've achieved that day. So any small achievement, if it's, you know, I don't know, (laughs) an award for something that's come through and or a, a, a customer that said that they're really happy with the with the product or a service that we provided because we do alterations as well. If they're really happy with it, like that's an achievement. And you know, um, when one of the interns has learned a new skill, um, that's an achievement again. So it's it's all about looking at everything relative relatively to how we're doing and performing. So, yeah. How has COVID affected business and what are some of the strategies you've developed during this time? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, timing has been bad. (laughs) I can't even explain it. It's just not that we can, you know, put a timing on a natural disaster. Um, but it's just sort of a halt in everything. 
And then also Brexit, that was really tough too, you know, because a lot of our customers are European. So we did lose quite a bit of consumers through that. Like postage has gone up, like God knows how much. It's, it's a lot more than what it was before. So yeah, there's there's lots of different mountains that we've had to overcome. But I'm I'm just trying to look at, you know, what can we do to move things forward? What's working? What's, um, yeah, push the things that are working and, and make those better. So we'd love to know what's the meaning and story behind the name Medea and Matilda. Okay, so Maddie and Matilda is my nicknames. My stepdad, when we were, well, all of his children and all his grandchildren have random names. And mine's Matilda. <laughs> and I think Samantha, she got Gertrude Pastor. <laughs> um, so I was lucky. Um, and Madia is a nickname for my little sister. She used to call me Madia because she was trying to say my dear. Um, but it, it didn't work <laughs> and it stuck. Um, but yeah, I think designers always call themselves after their names. And I thought, why not call myself after my nicknames? But then I also wanted it to have like a name that sounded vintage and was about two girls, two sisters or best friends. Like people always try and make the assumption or the the connection around what it is the name means. So I think that's quite interesting, you know, that they think it's two girls, but it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's me. <laughs> what would you do if you could be unreasonable, if there was nothing holding you back and the sky was the limit? I always said that I wanted Maddie and Matilda to be as big as Zara. Um, I could, you know, see it being, but the conscious version, not to, you know, uh, I know they have their own uh, thing going, but um, I believe that we can be doing more. It can be on a larger scale and we could be working with companies like Zara and there are other brands out there, <laughs> but um, I, I truly believe that we could be recycling all the textiles waste at every single level. So we could be working with places like supermarkets and um, recycling their their garments and making them into something new. We could be working with high end or high street fashion and making that into something new, taking the offcuts and turning it into something fantastic. But yeah, a lot of the time clothing, even at the sampling stage, gets discarded. So there's just so much waste that goes into fashion. And I really believe that we could do something big with Maddie and Matilda. Um it would be nice to have like um like bigger stores. Because at the moment we just have our studio and shop in the town centre in Stroud, but it would be—I would like to see it in cities. Um, that would be really cool. If I was really talking aspirations, I could see franchises of the alteration store around as well, and that would like I was talking about how that was like fifty percent of our business, really. And when that went, I didn't realise how much of a, a loss that would be, but. When it did go, because obviously we had to close the store, that was a massive thing um, to realise that, that, you know, we can't survive without it. So, yeah, although we do women's wear for clothing, we do the men's as well for alteration. Yeah, that's if there was no no holes, but bar hold, <laughs> bars hold, um, I definitely think we could do that. How would you like Medea and Matilda to be remembered as a brand? How would Maddie and Matilda be remembered? I think. As a conscious brand that did more, I think that would be what I would like us to be remembered for. Because I think when we first started, Maddie Matilda wasn't 
it wasn't heard of. It was like, what is it that we're doing? It, it seemed really strange, like they're recycling old clothes. Um, but now it seems to be upcycling is the norm. Everyone's doing it. And I feel like we're one of those pioneers that, you know, got that going <laughs> and kept it, um, kept the momentum going. So being a part of a movement, I feel like it would be great to be remembered for being one of the first. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I think there's only like just the links and things. So like that we have a website um, that people can go and shop at. Um, and that there's also, um, I'm also in a book, Small Steps to Less Waste. <laughs> um, yeah, that's also one of them. Yeah, there's there's a few things. Our social media is also very important that people can have a look at. We've got lots of tips on the blog. Um, yeah, so if you want to find out how to care for your clothes to make it last longer, that's somewhere to go to. Yeah. Many thanks for listening to this episode of the Social Impact Pulse. We hope you enjoyed it. We'd love to hear your feedback and feel free to rate and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't already, do check out our accompanying animation created especially for this episode. The Social Impact Pulse is a project of the Artisan Gateway and soon to be launched, Their Stories Be Told.